Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend Phil Kramer, the Coos Deer Killer. Phil, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing real good, Jay. I'm doing real good. How about yourself? Good. It's uh, that time of year again where we uh, really start looking forward to our Coos Deer hunts. I know in, down in Mexico, I know you've already been down for one round and put out a bunch of cameras. I'm curious to get your take on how things looked down there uh, on this last trip, so maybe you could walk us through it. You bet, um, and that, that's right. We have been down. Um, I myself have been down once. Uh, my partner Tim's been down twice, actually, uh, which was kind of neat, so we had some cameras to check when we went down after Thanksgiving. Um, the conditions of Mexico, of Sonora, this year are unlike any that I've ever seen. Uh, the vegetation's lush. There's a real deep green um, to the grass, to the leaves on the trees. Uh, more water than I've ever seen, um, which is good. Um, and it's also going to make things different and a little interesting this year to try and cover all the water sources. But uh, overall, the condition of the countryside is just unbelievable. So, Phil, um as you left Arizona and headed into Mexico, did you feel that way the whole way driving down? I mean, you're down in the Hermosillo uh, general area. I, you know, was it widespread or was it not until you got to where your ranches were that you noticed that the conditions looked outstanding? You know, for the most part, it was widespread. Um, even as soon as you cross the border, even before you cross the border, going down through southern Arizona, uh, you had the impression or the feeling that the, the rains had been really good. Um, you know, the, the grass was very tall. Uh, every little creek you crossed on every little bridge had water underneath it, if not running, at least standing. Um, and, you know, this time of year, it's pretty unusual to see that. And it was that way from the like I said before we cross the border all the way down and actually as we got um, closer to some of our ranches uh, on the southeast side of Hermosillo it it even got better and the grass and and the bushes are overgrown up onto the sides of the highway um, unlike anything I've ever seen uh, it's almost looking out through a forest of Palo Verdes and mesquites and ocotillos, everything's bloomed out, everything's got leaves still. You know, down there it doesn't really get very cold as far as frost or freezing, so um, everything was still bushed up, and, and you kind of look out there and you go, man, there's no telling what's hiding in that jungle. So it's <laughs> exciting. And maybe even a jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> um so, you know, with that being said, with conditions, you know, vegetation looking really good, it's easy to think that the antler growth, um, you know, the body condition could be phenomenal on these deer, which usually leads to phenomenal antler growth. The one question I would have is, with your contacts down there, is this something that's, you know, just come on in the last month or two, maybe since they're hard, uh, hard antlered, or did you get good indication that, you know, summer rains and that those deer probably had good good green up and and good groceries while they were you know finishing growing their antlers unfortunately from everything i've heard and the cowboys that i've talked to down there the, the rains came late um and from what i've 
been able to tell they they came after the the bucks had been growing and during that important time when they needed those nutrients so i don't think the rains are going to have any effect over antler growth um i'm a little bit concerned that maybe it was so dry during the growing period that the density of the antlers might be a little down and we might see a lot more broken horns this year um the other thing about the rains is it, they did come, from everything I've been told, they came in late August, early September, even into October. And it's more rains than they've seen in 60 to 80 years from what they were telling me. And it, it's very apparent. There's uh, dirt tanks that are full or have water in it that I've never seen even remotely close to being wet. So the other thing I think with those rains, what it's going to do, though, is what we're going to see is I think we're going to have a very good, very strong rut. Um, the does, the fawns that I've been seeing, everything is just in immaculate shape. I mean, you can tell they're fat, they're happy. They don't have to go anywhere for anything. I mean, all they have to do is turn their head and they can eat groceries right there. And really, they don't have to travel hardly anywhere to get a drink. So I think we're going to see a great rut. However, I think due to the rains and the, the dryness and the timing that we might see quite a few more broken horns this year than on a normal year. Do you feel like um, with anticipating a good rut because of good body condition, do you feel like that that changes the time frame, you know, with the full moon, I think, on January 21st? Um, anticipating a good rut, good body condition, do you, you know, do you, do you change the dates that you're going to go down and hunt? Um, talk a little bit about that. I know you and Tim have probably, you know, beat it up already, but what, what are your thoughts on time frame? and maybe if that time frame is different than normal years? You know, we, we've beat this subject up, just like you said, and there's a couple of different ways we've looked at it. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping that, that my theory on it is correct. Uh, otherwise, I'm probably going to have some, some hunters that are a little upset with me. Um, as you know, we try and time our trips down there, at least our main hunt in January, sometime in that middle part of January, around the 15th. However, given the fact that we have that full moon on the 21st, we like to try and hunt a new moon or a dark moon primarily if we can, just do the activity during the day. So that being said, everything I've seen in southern Arizona from, you know, the archery hunts, early archery hunts on through, it seemed that everything was late. The, the development of the antlers was late. Um, you know, when they really started putting on the most inches as they were growing seemed later than most years. So I talked our group into actually pushing our typical hunt back. Normally we'd leave, we would leave around the 14th or 15th try and get a few days after the full moon well everything i'd seen given the weather given everything i'd noticed in southern arizona i talked them into pushing our hunt back so i think we're actually going down on the 22nd or 23rd of january this year that's almost a week later than what we normally would for our main hunt my thought process is everything's going to be pushed back a little bit i think we're going to really see a strong rut a little later than an average year However, after seeing the shape of the deer and the condition of the does and the fawns, I'm a little nervous that it's going to be just right on par with every other year that around that 15th, 16th of January, they're going to be kicking. Um, they're just, they're fat and happy, and it looks to me like they're just waiting on the word go. 
I think one of the things to point out to the listeners is there's a difference, and we've talked about it before, I think years ago on a podcast, we talk about desert ranches and mountain ranches, and I would kind of classify what you hunt as kind of desert ranches, and I would kind of classify more what Dar and I hunt as mountain ranches. And a lot of that as well is you've got, uh, you know, you're hunting quite a ways south, we're hunting quite a ways north. Um, would you agree that on a normal year, the closer you get down by Hermosillo, when you're specifically talking about the coos deer, it seems as though, you know, sometimes some of the peak rutting is last week of January and, and first week and even into some of even mid-February down there. Uh, when you get south, can you talk a little bit about um, normal rutting time frames where, you know, say the best two weeks of activity Correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes that, that pushes way into February as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. And you nailed it on the head. You know, we're, we're down there a long ways as far as Coos Country is concerned and uh, definitely would consider our ranches desert-type ranches. And it's hot. You know, last year I was, I was getting caked and uh, or cooked in the sun with 90-plus degree temperatures in January. So we are a long way south, and typically what we see is a later rut um you know last year what we saw was the bucks were peaking with great rut activity around the first of february you know typically you'd think wow that's that's way late however we normally try and push our dates or set our dates according to that rut and what we like to try and do is actually make our hunts a little bit before they peak and then that way we're not dealing with the broken antlers as much so on a normal year down by Hermosillo, what we see is you get a lot of that pre-rut, a lot of bucks moving, cruising for does uh, around that 15th of January. As the, the season progresses and you get closer to February is when you really see the bucks kick it in high gear. I mean, they are fighting, they're actively chasing, um, they're covering a lot of country, and that's normally really good for us because their body temperatures are up, they're, they're cruising by different tanks, um, coming in, getting a drink, and then going back out and looking for does or fighting other bucks or whatever uh, they might be doing. So I guess in a nutshell, our normal, what we've witnessed over the last, I don't know how many years, the typical rut, you get in that pre-rut around the 14th, 15th, as you get closer into to February is when things really kick off. Last year was a dry year, so I think it pushed it even a little bit further. And what we saw was the peak of the rut happening around that 1st of February, 2nd of February. Things were, were I mean, they were kicking hard and, and bucks were cruising and fighting, and it was a great time to be in the, in the desert. Yeah, and, you know, um, we've talked about before, um, specifically you guys, your method of hunting is you figured out the best way to hunt these um, tanks and such is to sit and kind of have shooting lanes and what have you and kind of sit and wait. Um, talk a little bit about how when now you've got widespread water, you've got tanks that you've never seen have water, have water. Um, talk a little bit about how that's going to spread your gear out, spread your bucks out, and you know, whether that's positive or negative, maybe go through the pros and cons of why spreading them out might work better or might be worse. You bet. From when we first got down there um, this year after Thanksgiving or when I did, the first thing I noticed, it was almost we had more tanks that had 
mainly buck tracks coming into it. Whereas other years, it, it didn't really seem to have any difference between the amount of bucks or the amount of does coming in throughout the time that we got down there in November and left in February. However, this year, it seems like there's a definite break between bucks and does. And I think a lot of the what we're seeing is we have water widespread, like you said, and the bucks have a chance to stay bachelored up in their bachelor groups, and they don't have to be pushed into other areas to get water that they normally would be on a dry year. On a wet year like this, they're spread out. They can kind of stay out, do their own thing. They're just eating, killing time, waiting for that rut to happen. Whereas the does, they're more concerned with with getting groceries, um, staying healthy, keeping their young fed, and not getting eaten by a predator. So I think it's spread the deer out for sure. I've noticed that it's definitely split the deer up into areas of bucks and areas of does. I fully anticipate as the season progresses that those will start to overlap. However, the other thing that it has done is it's allowed us to get coverage on areas of our ranches that we've never been able to really hunt successfully because they didn't have a sustainable water source. Well, this year they have a water source, so we're able to, per se, pull bucks from border ranches um, where on a dry year, those bucks would be on the neighbor's ranches instead of on ours. So I'm really excited about that and the potential that we might get some bucks that we've only seen one or two times cruising through in a rut where we might actually have them in their home range now. The downfall of that is it has spread the deer out everywhere. There, there are multiple water sources in areas where we've never had them or where we've had one and it kind of congregated to the deer where we were able to really get good pictures, good inventory, and then focus our efforts in hunting a specific area and trying to kill a specific buck. It's gone to the point this year where there's tanks that unless it seriously dries up and drops a lot of water between now and when we're going to start hunting, you couldn't sit one tank and actually cover the whole tank. You would actually have to pick a section of that tank because you can't see it all from any one point. So it, it's, it's exciting on one hand because I think we're going to see a lot of deer we've never seen before or only seen once or twice. However, it's going to make it very difficult that you're going to have to commit to a certain area and try and hunt that area, whereas in drier years, you would be able to cover a larger area at one spot. So it's exciting, but it's also a little uh, nerve-wracking to see how we're going to do it. Yeah, it sounds like you're going to need twice as many cameras as well. <laughs> we we have more cameras out this year than we've ever had. I mean, it, it's an insane amount. I think we have 160 cameras set currently. Um, Tim and I got home from our Thanksgiving trip and actually bought some more uh, just because we there's areas that we don't think we haven't covered near as well as we should. Um, and as, as things progress, as we get down in December, we'll actually start to... Um, move cameras around and focus in on certain areas where we have hit list box and everything like that. But to start out with, we try and blanket it as much as we can. And this year, for the first time ever, you actually had to drive by water sources. Or instead of putting eight cameras on one tank, we might have to cut it down to four and just sacrifice certain areas for the sake of coverage and, and try and make sure we're getting that inventory of everywhere we need it to do. So. It's how do crazy. the cattle 
how do the cattle seem to be? Are they spread out as well? Um, obviously, like last year when it was so dry, you were talking about cattle having to walk, you know, long, long distances to come to water as well as the deer were. So it congregated, you know, the cattle and the deer. Um, talk a little bit about dealing with running cameras and having cattle on these ranches as well. It's always a challenge. Um, this time of year, let's say from you know November up through December, uh, because this is how our, our ranchers make their living. That you know they don't make their living off of coos deer hunters. They make their living off of cattle year in and year out. So they have to keep those cattle fat and happy. And the best way they can do that is to make sure they're in pastures that have the grass that they need, and they don't have to travel a long distance to water. Um, one of our our ranch owners has actually told us, he said, you have to have three or four water sources per pasture to prevent the cattle from having to walk a long way. Because if the cattle are walking a long way, they're dropping weight that they're so desperately trying to put on. So it's made it a challenge as far as the deer using the same water sources as the cattle. However, what I noticed this year is there's such widespread good grass in almost every pasture and there's multiple water sources that have water in every pasture the the ranchers have done a really good job on just basically keeping the cattle in one pasture once it grazes down to a certain point and they're moving them to the other what we have found is a lot of our bevendettos uh, drinkers that are normally turned on or off this year because the ranchers don't need to use that resource with the dirt tanks that are so full so it's limited some of our areas down um, that we would normally be able to cover with one camera at a drinker to, uh, you know, six or seven cameras on a dirt tank. And those six or seven cameras you have to try and set up according so, one, the cows don't destroy them and move them, and two, so you might actually maximize your chance of getting a picture of a deer instead of a ton of cattle. So we had to get pretty creative. Um, you know, I, I've got some cameras on drinkers that are, 10 foot in the air that I had to wire a post to another post to get up above the cattle. Um, and you just do your best and hope because all you need is that one picture and then you can go in and blanket it and, and really focus on it. Our, we're really fortunate in the fact that our ranch owners understand that it's better for us if the cattle are not in the same area that we're hunting. So if at all possible, they'll actually move them um, as the season gets closer if we're really set up on a tank or a certain area, they'll try and move the cattle if they have the water and the feed into another pasture where it, it doesn't affect us, which is which is great. Um, you know, all of that being said, I've, I've watched the deer come right in, uh, stand out in the background, wait for the cattle, move off a drinker, and they'll come right in and get a drink as soon as they do. So we know that the deer don't mind. Um, you know, they try and stay out there, and then they come get a drink. It's just a matter of making sure you have enough batteries and camera or card space to get that one picture and 3,000 cow pictures so yeah um, talk a little bit about your settings on your cameras when uh, you know you have cattle coming in and you're trying to capture deer photos and cattle cattle uh, you know are, are all over your cameras talk about card size um, settings on your camera how many pictures are taken per second and all of that um, what you found to be the best well, we, we kind of change as the season progresses. So when we go down in November, almost every camera we set will have a fairly lengthy delay. And by that, I mean anywhere from one minute to five minutes. 
if it's in a pasture or an area where we anticipate a lot of cattle, what we'll do is we'll actually put a minimum of a five-minute delay before it triggers the next picture event, and we'll do a three-shot standard burst. Um, that's typically with a minimum of a 16-gigabyte card. The new cameras, you know, they have capacity to go from 32, 64-gigabyte cards, whatever you might need in a certain area. However, the majority of the time, we have the cameras set on smart card management, which means they'll overwrite the oldest pictures if the card fills up. Normally, we can expect when we go down in December and start checking these cards to have around 3,000 pictures per camera in an area that might have cattle. If we were to leave it on a standard setting with a one-minute delay or even less with a five-second delay, we would have six to 8,000 per card. And with 160 cameras out, you couldn't really check them in the amount of time that you needed to to actually go and effectively hunt it. So we set that higher delay. When we go back in December, we're, we'll really start to focus cameras in a certain area. If we're really trying to catch a buck, we'll actually do away with the delay, do anywhere between a three and six shot rapid fire burst trying to pick up that buck. It does mean that we have to go through more false pictures, more cow pictures, but it's all worth it as long as you get the angles that you need of a certain buck you're trying to find. So right now we might have, out of the 160, probably 20 cameras set on video mode. Um, that's another thing we'll change when we go down in December, and it'll be about 50-50. Um, just because we don't want to try and sift through you know, a 15-second video for 4,000 events between now and December, or when we go down in December. When we go down in December, we'll switch those because we'll have a lot shorter time frame to actually have the cameras soaking and, and the less amount or least, less amount of uh, cow pictures or, or false pictures that we have to go through. So we'll, we'll change the settings. We'll change our setups as we go. Um, like I said, pretty much everything we have right now is anywhere between 16 and 32 gigabyte cards. Almost everything is on a minimum of a one-minute delay with a three-shot standard burst. If we have cattle, we'll up that to a five-minute delay and still go with the three-shot burst. You said you bought some new cameras. What cameras are working best for you down there that you've found that, that you like the best? You know, Browning's primarily been the camera that we've gone to. Um, we, we bought a, some higher-end Brownings that have the actual two cameras in them. Um, we have gotten phenomenal results off of those cameras. The, t the purpose of the two cameras is it does away with nighttime blur. So a lot of times at night with a single lens, you'll get uh, a, any little bit of movement and it blurs the picture because of the flash, the way that the camera lens has to, to capture it. So by adding two cameras, it actually does away with that and it combines it into one picture and we've had great results with that. They are a little bit more expensive, so we look, we look at price versus the quality and try and put those in areas that we know we're really looking for a specific buck or there's not cattle in that area. But something that we put out this year is a number of the Moultries that have actually three cameras, three motion detectors in one camera. They're called motion or, uh, Moultrie 180s, and they're able to cover 180 degrees, and you can set it as either 
a panoramic picture. So if one motion detector picks up movement and heat, it triggers all three cameras and it does a 180 degree panoramic. Or you can set it where each individual camera acts as, you know, in essence, its own camera. So that way you would have three cameras coverage with one camera versus having to put three out to cover the same area. Um, we haven't got a lot of results out on those yet. We just put them out when we got down there in November. Um, I'm really excited to see how that does. So it makes our life a lot easier. Instead of trying to put three cameras on one post to cover everything, we have one camera and we should be able to cover a large area. So I'll have to get back to you on that and see how it works. Um, but right now, primarily, we're running all Brownings and all Moultries. On the Brownings, we're running the majority of them are the sub-micro um, anywhere from the BTC-5 up to the BTC, I want to say, 10 or 12. Um, the majority of our cameras are right around the 12 to 14 megapixel. Um, everyone kind of gets wrapped up in the megapixel game, and really it doesn't have much significance when you're actually looking at a trail camera picture um, because it gets pixelated too bad when you try and zoom in. So we look more for trigger speed, um, recovery rate, uh, detection range, flash range, those attributes of a camera, and that's why we've really gone to Moultrie's, or sorry, uh, Brownings, and now the new Moultrie's, because they, they seem to have good recovery rates, good trigger speed, and the battery life is phenomenal on them. And when you're, you're down there and you have that many cameras out, the last thing you want to do is roll up to a camera, flip the door, and the battery's dead, put new batteries in it, check it out, and it lasted two weeks since the last time you were there. And that that's just it's not good. <laughs> you know, it's a waste of time, waste of resource. Yeah. So, so anyway, with the brownies, we had good luck. What batteries do you find uh, work the best for you guys? We've done a, a, a lot of, of research on this and trial and error. We're pretty lucky in the fact that we're in a very mild um, climate area. And what I mean by that, it's not getting down you know, below 30 degrees. It's not getting very cold. Uh, it does get quite hot. However, the heat does not affect the batteries near as bad as the cold does. So at first we ran all lithiums, um, spent a lot of money on lithium batteries. What we were finding is one set of lithiums was getting us through the whole season, and we still had battery power left. However, when you go to redeploy that camera, you're changing the batteries anywhere, anyway because the last thing you want is to put them out and they go dead. So what we've actually gone back to now is alkaline batteries. They're cheaper. They're readily available. We've done a lot of going through different brown, uh, brands on it. What we've actually found is um, it, it's kind of a split camp. Most of us like the Railvac high-energy alkaline batteries. We're getting great results out of them. Others like the Duracells. Um, every once in a while, you'll go up to a camera and you'll open it up and you'll find that the battery's leaked and it's corroded the, the contacts. Um, so you try and avoid that as much as possible. I myself have not had any Railvacs that do that. Um, my partner has, so he runs a lot of the Duracells. That's just kind of preference. But all straight alkalines, um, where we're at, we're not running into any issues with them. And for the price, we just can't beat them. And, I mean, if you set in November, they'll pretty much work through, through your February. You know, when you're done, won't they? I mean, one set will still work for a season. For the most part, you bet. Um, in very high photo capture event areas where there's, you know, say a drinker that, that has cattle in on it 
Um, we might go down in December and throw new batteries in it, but for the most part, you're going to have a minimum of 50% battery life and better throughout the remainder of the season. So um, it's a it's a large initial investment, but you know they last us all season, and we really don't have to think about it anymore. We always carry a bunch of extras because, like I say, you do get those areas that are going to muck out your battery. Um, it, it's it's kind of funny. They're not funny, but interesting. In areas where you're getting a lot more nighttime pictures, you're going to get a lot more battery usage. It's charging the flash. The recovery rates, it's working harder to try and make that camera work the way that it's designed to. So a lot of your daytime tanks, I'll say, where you're getting a lot of action with cattle just during the daytime, you'll still have good batteries and 4,000 pictures, and it'll be like that every time you check it. Whereas an area you might go in at nighttime, where you're getting, you know, 100, 200 pictures at night, whether it be doves, deer, predators, you name it, those areas where you're getting a lot of flash consumption is where your batteries are going to be suspect or need to be changed more frequently. Before we get into talking a little bit about the bucks and maybe some of the bucks that you're anticipating showing up and some of the bucks that maybe you already have on camera from this year, I want to talk about predators and in the cameras that have already been set, um, with the water being widespread, are you getting more or less or the same pictures of, of mountain lions, you know, coyotes, bobcats, jaguars? So far, um, from my observations, that we've seen a, a significant amount less pictures of mountain lions. Um, we haven't pulled any jaguar pictures yet this year. Um, but even coyotes and everything else, it seems to be more widespread. Um, they're, they're not congregating in one specific area. And I think a lot of them don't even have to use the tanks. Uh, we have creeks that are still have water in them, um, pockets in them, as well as the deer aren't congregated. Um, the game animals aren't congregated in one area as they were last year. So from what we're seeing is, is the predators are a lot more widespread, just like the game is um i think that's going to be a good thing I, I don't think that same lion could go sit in one area and and get easy groceries i think they're going to have to move um you know to different areas and, and hunt a little harder than they would unfortunately that means we're going to have to hunt a little harder than we normally would too because they are so widespread yeah for sure uh, Phil, I want to take a quick second to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Gear Shop. My friend Cody Nelson of 20-plus years is the optics manager. And if you guys, any of you listeners out there, have optics needs at all, whether it be binos, spotting scopes, tripods, rifle scopes, etc., you can give him a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2, or you can send him an email directly at optics at GoHunt.com, and he's been on the podcast. Uh, we've had several episodes here in the last uh, two weeks or so that you can listen to, have a, have a new one coming up here this week. Uh, Cody does a great job with communicating with uh, customers and talking about optics, so make sure to give him a call. Uh, I want to thank Kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, based out of Dixon, California. Uh, that is the clothing, the gear that I wear. Phil, I know you love Kuyu and wear Kuyu as well. Um, I want to thank Kuyu.com for their sponsorship. You guys, uh, thank you for supporting. I get almost everyday messages from 
uh, listeners and Instagram followers uh, wearing their Kuyu with, uh, you know, their different gear that they're wearing. And, and uh, you know, I get stories and testimonials from how much they like it. Uh, Kuyu.com, support them, guys. Thank you. Uh, also, Canyon Coolers based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. I want to thank CanyonCoolers.com. Uh, keep your drinks cold. Uh, check out CanyonCoolers.com. You can order right there on the website. Uh, then there's Phonescope.com. If you use the J. Scott 18 promo code, you are going to get a uh, use the J. Scott 18 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And I want to thank Phonescope. They've been with me a long time, and I just got off this recent sheep hunt. Was able to take a lot of video of rams and got Logan's ram uh, Phonescope video. Loaded it on my Instagram. Works great. Uh, and then OnxMaps.com. Uh, uh, if you use the J Scott 18 promo code there at Onyx Maps, you're going to get a 20% discount. Uh, on the Onyx um, Maps.com there for the Onyx uh, app, and it's an incredible app. If, uh, if you haven't used it, I highly recommend uh, using it. It shows all the private and public lands. Uh, it shows uh, aerial overlays, topo overlays. You can measure line distances. You can use the breadcrumb. Basically, uh, eliminates the use of a GPS. So I want to thank those sponsors. I want to thank you guys for supporting them. So last year we talked about when you got back from Mexico, there were a few big bucks that um, holdover bucks, let's call them, uh, that you guys did not harvest. I'm curious if you were able to get any photos of some of those bucks, um, and if so, tell us about it. And then some of the bucks maybe that you know about that haven't gotten photos that I'm sure are making you stay up at night wondering if they're still there. Um, talk a little bit about your buck inventory and, and how it's going there on the ranches. You bet. Uh, Jay, I tell you, we, we got down there early this year, earlier than we ever did. Um, Tim ran down. He set 25 cameras on some pretty specific areas that we're looking for some bucks that we did not harvest last year. Um, I'll be very honest with you, we won't make that investment again. Uh, we did not get very many pictures of bucks that we were trying to really focus on. It doesn't mean that they're not there. It doesn't mean that they're dead or, you know, moved off to another ranch. What I think it means is there's so many water sources right now, they're not in in that early uh, time frame in the same pattern that they are when we go back in December and January. So that that side of things was a little disappointing. However, I'm trying not to read too much into it. We had a no, number of bucks last year that we had on camera that we did not harvest, that we actually didn't even see um, during the hunt in January. So we really focused on putting areas or cameras up in those areas that we're looking for those bucks to return. I firmly believe when we go back in December, we're going to have, uh, the end of December, sorry, we're going to have a number of those bucks on camera. Um, I've put a couple on my Instagram of up-and-comer bucks uh, that really surprised me in how far they moved from where we had pictures of them last year uh, to where they actually showed up on camera this year to the point where there's some debate whether they're even the same deer um, you, you look at certain features or traits of their antler configuration and, and it leads you to believe they are however you know i've always 
been of the opinion that coos deer are very homebody type deer, so I've got to look at why I'm getting these same bucks on areas, you know, two miles apart without a rut going on, without any reason why that would be. And what I've come back to, I think, is because the water is so widespread, they're in areas that they want to be in right now. They're in areas this year that they feel comfortable in, that they live in, whereas last year they had to travel long distances to get the water that they needed to survive. Uh, at least that's what I'm hoping, or I really have to rethink my entire <laughs> um, thoughts and everything on deer, which I don't believe we need to do at this point. But it has made it interesting to see where those bucks are showing up. Um, one buck that we're really excited for this year is a buck we named Big Deuce, uh, just a big, heavy, bully-type buck. He, he basically has a mainframe two-point and then trash everywhere. And um, We really blanketed his home area. Um, looking forward to getting pictures of him this year we covered a lot of country looking for a buck we were not able to find last year however he was there the year before a uh, buck we called lefty um, he was an up-and-comer in in the mid-120s range uh, two years ago so we think he's a young buck this year he should just be an absolute giant so We've covered up his country, um, hoping he, he makes an appearance. According to the Cowboys, they've seen him a number of times. Um, so we have high hopes for finding him again. I'm really excited this year to hunt areas that we haven't hunted before due to the water situation. I got down to some of the bordering areas of some of our ranches this year, and I was able to see a lot of deer um, just driving around and setting cameras compared to, you know, years past where you go in there and you see old, old tracks and no fresh signs. So I think we're going to have a lot of new bucks show up. Um, I'll be very surprised if we don't have a couple in that mid-120s range. Um, and I think we're going to see see some bucks that we've never seen before, and, and I'm super excited for that. We do have a couple bucks that we had on camera last year already that we've had on camera this year um you know they have little stickers three by fours uh so i'm excited uh, you know i think antler growth is going to be on par with an average year maybe slightly better um but i think we're going to see a lot more bucks that we typically wouldn't see on a dry year so uh, you know the the sleepless nights are definitely here um that seems to be consuming the majority of my thoughts and i'm excited for it yeah, you know, you think about last year with as far as those deer had to travel for water and, um, you know, getting photos of a certain buck, like you said, he might have been in that area specifically because he had to travel for water and now he can be back more in his home range where, you know, he prefers maybe a water tank that usually doesn't have water and maybe in past years he's had to rely on the other water or the drinkers, the Bevendettos like you talk about, um, but now he's just feeling great and comfortable that, you know, the tank that he loves, to, you know, it's feels safest at that, um, you know. So for you and I to think two or three miles and we think he's out of his home range, it's also like, well, maybe last year with it being dry, he was actually out of his home range, and they, now maybe those deer are back in their home range. Um, the one thing I'll ask you uh, in regards to that topic is like, so you're, you plan on sitting, you sit in a ground blind, you rifle hunt. Some of these dirt tanks are, you know, a couple hundred yards across, uh, almost lakes, uh, especially on wet years. Um, you know, my question would be, 
well, there's several questions, but since there's so much widespread water and they're not congregated, so to speak, your deer sightings per day when the hunt comes might actually be cut in maybe half or even more. Talk a little bit about how you're going to handle, um, you know, years where they're congregated and you're seeing tons of deer because they have to come to that water and then years where, you know, like this one where they're spread out and you may see a quarter of the deer sightings. How is that going to work, um, you know, mentally with you sitting trying to figure it all out? It's going to be a challenge. Um, and, you know, for the most of us, we've been doing this a lot of years, and, and we hunt lower deer density ranches, um, you know, in the desert per se, if you compare the same size of ranch to a mountain ranch. And and we're okay with that. And, and the reason being is we know we have the potential to absolutely kill a giant, that the genetics are there, that we might not see as many deer you know, per day, which can be a grind. It, it makes it hard. I mean, we, we all love to see deer. We, they're a beautiful animal, and we like to see them, you know, doing their natural thing in their natural habitat. And when you're seeing very few, it can make for an absolute grind. Um, what I've been doing, and, and I know Tim has as well, is with the kids and, and with some of the new guys coming down this year, is we're trying to prepare them for that, saying, look, it might not be a full day exciting experience. It might be areas of five minutes of excitement and then two or three hours in between, and, and you kind of have to prepare for that. Not everybody can do it, and that's fine. There, there's nothing wrong with that. We are lucky enough that we do have areas on our ranches that a guy can, he, he doesn't have to sit water. He can go glass and, and do other things. What I fully predict happening this year is a number of us that are going down are going to sit a blind, you know, um, from, I, I like to sit it from daylight to dark if I'm targeting a specific buck, but what I think is going to happen this year is there's going to be guys sitting at a tank or a blind from, you know, 8 to noon, 8 to 2, maybe 10 to 2, somewhere in there, and if they're not seeing much action, they're going to get out and they're going to go glass and they're going to look for that deer. Um, I'm, I'm still not that way. I, if I find a target buck, I'm going to be on them daylight to dark, and I'm just mentally trying to prepare myself knowing I might see four deer in a day, whereas last year it was nothing to see 20 to 50 deer per day. However, all I need is that one, and, and that's what a guy's yeah. got to keep telling himself, you know. For sure. Do you ever do things like wear earphones and have movies or something on your iPad or or your laptop or something and literally sit there and you're just watching, you know, TV shows or movies. Um, obviously you can't hear, but you, you know, you're looking at all times. Do you ever do that? Or do you listen to music or podcasts or how do you pass the time? Or do you read or what do you do? I read a lot. Uh, knowing um, you before you answer that, <laughs> knowing you, you probably don't do anything. You're probably looking out the window at all times on alert for 24 seven. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get teased a lot. And I catch a lot of grief from my hunting partners actually, because I go in, in daylight, you know, before daylight and I sit till after dark and, and I use skunk oil around my blind to try and cover up any human scent. And, um, I go in and I, I will not come out of my blind and, you know, they give me a hard time. They're like, you know, you could make this a lot more fun, Phil, by going a couple hours, you kill the same bucks, you know. But, no, I, I read a lot, Jay. Um, I, fortunately, I like to read. The other thing I do a lot of is, um, 
actually take SD cards into the blind with me, and I'll sit there on my phone with a card reader and study specific bucks or go over specific areas and, and try and, and create that hit list or try and age deer and, and get an idea on what's going on, a better idea. It's a great way to pass the time. The other thing is it really helps me to be able to quickly identify a buck that might be coming into a tank that I'm sitting. And that might not seem like a big deal. However, it can be a really big deal, especially if you're sitting these tanks that are miniature lakes. I mean, we were joking this year about where's the water skis and jet boats because some of these tanks are so big you could actually do that on them. So if you have the ability to readily identify a buck that comes in, you have, your success chances of harvesting that buck go way up. That way you're not wasting time trying to identify him, making sure it's him. That way you're focusing on when he gives you that one opportunity, you can capitalize on it. So I do a lot of that while I'm sitting in the blind. And to be honest with you, it, it's part of the reason why I love being down there. There's no cell phone. There's no emails chiming. There's nothing going on. You can basically quiet the white noise focus on what you're doing, get back to kind of your roots and, and relaxing and focus on what's important to you and, and everything. So, yeah, I do do a lot of that just sitting there and, and watching and waiting <laughs> for that opportunity. <laughs> I call it eat, sleep, and kill mode, and it's something that we get to do, and, and um, I really enjoy it where you're just you're totally focused on what you're doing, and that's always a, a, a really big joy for me. Um, let's see, where can, where else can we go with this? Um, in, in talking about some of these big, big tanks, um, trying to actually figure out where you're going to get a camera placed, where a deer is going to come in and you're actually going to get, um, sorry guys, going by Revenus Harley. Um, when the tanks are big, I mean, you literally could have 40 cameras around a tank and still not get them. Does that kind of play with your mind going, crap, I mean, I got eight cameras up and I still might not get the deer coming in. How do you kind of pick where they're coming? I mean, do you literally walk around and try and figure where the most tracks are? Or do you try and look up and see, okay, the hills are there and they're probably going to come from this direction or, you know, the wind blows out of this direction, so they're going to come, you know, how do you, how do you game plan that? Well, fortunately, a lot of our, our areas we have history with that we know, okay, this is where they typically like to come from, and we can focus in on that. What we found this year is we actually had to do some some creative landscaping, I'll call it, to actually force deer into certain pinch points so we might have a chance on getting a picture. And what I mean by that is, is we'll actually take brush and, and piles and everything else and block the say the land you know the dirt area of the tank and limit them to certain areas that they actually have to come get a drink from otherwise we know there is absolutely no chance that we're going to be successfully covering a water source the other thing we did a lot of this year that we hadn't done as much in the past is on the backs of these berms of these big huge dirt tanks most of them, most of these tanks have been there for years and years and years, and the rancher might only rework um, one tank, two tanks per year. So, the backs of these berms are overgrown, and it's old growth mesquites, Palo Verdes, cat claw, and the deer will actually make little tunnels through this brush to the deer, the javelina, 
to come get a drink and they can slip in and out of these tanks virtually unseen. Well, there's not enough cameras really to ever cover the amount of areas that they might stick their head down to get a drink. So what we've done is gone in and, and basically opened up some of these tunnels on the berms to where we can use one or two cameras to cover the entire berm. So that way they can shoot down the length of the berm and we'll be able to catch the deer coming and going across that area. So we had to use our resources to the best of our ability, and what that mean was trying to think outside the box and, and find ways that we could ensure we were getting pictures of the deer. Are we 100% covered up? No way, not even close. I mean, we had to drive by tanks and just not put a camera there, or put one camera there. Um, and when we did that, we would just take a quick walk around, try and judge the amount of sign, the quality of sign, you know, um, a big track doesn't necessarily always equal a big rack, but the chances are it's going to be a big mature deer. So we look for those, try and pinpoint those areas that they're maybe coming in more frequently. And you can you can look at okay, he's he stepped here in the mud, it's dry. He stepped here in the mud, it's still kind of fresh. He's gone all the way out to the water's edge here, so it looks like he's been using the same area multiple times. And we just pinpoint that area and throw a camera up. So it. It's hard, especially when you get like one picture and it's it's a long ways away and you look at it and you go, man, that looks like a big buck, but you just can't discern it. So then it plays with your mind. Okay, well, is that buck coming in and I'm missing him? Um, or is this area yeah, or did he just have the bucks time. I want? Exactly. Yeah. Or, or was it a one-time deal? Yeah, or is it just yeah. passing through and I happen to get a picture of him and he'll, he'll never be seen again. So it, it can play with your mind and it's part of the reason why we love it because it's always changing we're always learning and it's always a hunt i mean it, it's it's what draws us to it <laughs> yeah for sure i know um we've talked about this before but i think we it's a good thing to rehash for some of the guys out there listening that you know aren't even hunting mexico but they're hunting arizona for deer and they're planning on doing some sitting uh coming up in these december and january archery hunts and such um you know, you've done a lot of analysis, and you you really have studied deer coming, coos deer specifically coming into water at all times of the year. Um, you know, what would you say if you had to pick a two-hour? I'm gonna I'm gonna trim you way down to a two-hour window, and then and then I'll broaden it out a little bit, and you know, give you a six or eight-hour window. But if you had to pick spot in spot out two hour window that you would say that's when most of the deer are going to come in what would that window be with without hesitation 10 to noon um i have seen more deer activity coming into water between 10 and noon than i have any other time period of the day um and it doesn't matter if it's in arizona or in mexico everything i've witnessed that would be the two hour i pick now, obviously, I'd want to extend that by two more hours and go 10 to 2. Um, but if I was limited to two hours, 10 to noon, without hesitation. Okay. With that being said, what is, in your mind, the least or what I would call the worst time that a deer is going to come in? And I'm talking daylight. I'm going to limit you to daylight. If you had to pick a two-hour window when you said that's the least period of time when they come in the morning from the first two hours of daylight um 
matter of fact, the majority of my buddies just razz me to no end saying, why are you getting up early? Why are you rushing out there in the cold? Why are you crawling in your blind at dark? Historically, we have the least amount of pictures. We've never killed a buck the first two hours of daylight. Um, it, it's just kind of a quiet time, and, and typically that's when we see a lot of the predators out moving around. Um, but as far as deer numbers, deer sighting, the first two hours of daylight, if you had to pick two hours to give up during the day, those first two hours I wouldn't even bother getting out of bed. And then let's talk about night photos. Let's talk about nocturnal deer. Are there any correlations to nocturnal travel or, you know, deer coming to water at night? Is, you know, heat, moon, like what are your biggest factors? What is the biggest factor? And talk a little bit about nocturnal travel. So down where we're at, as I mentioned before, it, it can get very hot. And it's hot the majority of the year through. I've noticed that the heat plays the biggest factor in the pushing the deer's movement at night. Excuse me. And the other thing, excuse me again, the other thing I've noticed with that, as the season progresses, the nocturnal travel actually becomes a little bit less. And I think the temperatures are cooler. I honestly think that the bucks would rather be rutting during the daylight when they can keep track of the does. It's easier for them to see. There's less chance of them getting eaten by a predator. Um, but as far as nocturnal travel, I think the heat for us, has the largest, or is the largest determining factor. I mean, you know, it's 120 sometimes in the middle of the day, and it drops down into the low 80s at night, and that's when you see the majority of your deer movement pick up. I've definitely seen more deer movement on a full moon um, at night than any other time, and I think it's for the same reason you and I would feel more comfortable walking around at night is it's easier for them to see. It's easier for them to see what's waiting in the bush behind them to eat them. Um, but by and far, the large heat seems to be the biggest factor. What we've noticed is the closer you get to the rut, the more rut activity you've seen is the less nocturnal or the least amount of nocturnal activity that we, we've noticed on our trail cameras. And keep in mind, the majority of our cameras are focusing on water um, you know, it's not a trail, it's, it's not a saddle, it's, it's water sources. So uh, when I speak in these terms, it's terms of deer coming into water. You speak about the moon. Have you noticed a correlation with obviously deer moving at night? Do you notice that the deer water at noon a lot more during the day when you have a full moon? So you, you see them come, you know, straight up in the middle of the day, do you notice them coming to water more in, you know, big moon, you know, fuller moon situations than, say, dark moon? And I'm talking during the day coming in. So what I've noticed with the moon effect of daylight times when they're drinking is it's pushed them later in the day. And you, you can almost track this um, with our cameras that, say, a specific buck, um, you know, on a dark moon, um, even a half moon, when when the light the visibility at night is less that buck might be his main time is from 10 to 2 say uh, let's let's even narrow it down less than that 10 to 10 to 11 and he's pretty comfortable it might not be every day it might be every third day but that's when you're getting pictures of it and then as that moon gets brighter as it gets fuller as it's almost reaching its peak 
it seems that that time then moves an hour and a half to two and a half hours later. So that same buck, when he he might be watering every third day at 10.30 or 10.45, and that full moon hits, he's then going to be watering around noon, 1.30, right in that area. And it seems to push everything later in the day. And my interpretation of that is they're up more during the night, they sleep a little later in the morning, and then they get up and make their way to water later during the day. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense that they're up more, they sleep in a little bit. People ask me on my Instagram stories, I try and answer questions as much as I can, and um, it, it makes perfect sense that if the deer are up in the middle of the night that they're going to, you know, sleep in a little bit later and that they're going to, you know, then water when they were watering at 1045, they're now going to water at, you know, 130 or 145. Um, I get a lot of Instagram questions, people asking me how to hunt during a full moon. And what I tell them is expect usual slow movement activity, meaning if you're glassing from sun up maybe for an hour and a half, what I notice is you've a lot of deer bedded. And then all of a sudden at about, you know, 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning, it seems like all the deer start standing up. Um, wondering if you've noticed that as well, not only in your cameras, but in your glassing. Um, you know, I expect heavy movement between, you know, say nine and three on a full moon and then prime time, you know, in the morning and prime time in the evenings, it's, it's, it's a lot of deer laying down and people ask, well, how come the deer are laying down in the afternoon? Well, it's almost like they're laying down because they're anticipating the sun going down and then that moon coming up within about an hour and then they're back up again. Do you notice the same thing? A hundred percent, Jay. Um, you know, I've heard you talk about this on your podcast with, with other people, and the best way to kill a buck that you spot is wait for him to bed down and then make your move on it, um, especially if you have someone to stay back and, and with a spotter. One thing that I, I think of every time I hear that is when you have that full moon and you spot that buck in the afternoon and he's, he lays down and you get in position and you're, you're waiting for him to stand up, what I've found is when you have that full moon, there's a good chance that buck will not stand up, that you're going to lose light and he's still going to be bedded down. And that's exactly why what you just said is that they're waiting for that moon to come up when it's cooler, when they can get up and feed. So typically what would be prime time when you would expect that buck to get up and start feeding, they're going to lay down and they're waiting for that. Same thing in the morning. We, we joke that, just because we're down in Mexico, the deer are lazy. Well, they're not being lazy. They're, they've been up all night, you know, chousing each other and feeding and everything, so we don't expect much activity. We call it sleeping in, and we call them being lazy. Well, it's because they're out all night partying, and they're waiting for it. You know, they're sleeping, and then middle of the day, they're going to get up, move, come get a drink. And in the afternoon, we expect to see very little activity. And that's why we try and plan our hunts you know, around a dark moon or a new moon versus the full moon. And for that specific reason is we want to maximize the daylight activity. And we have a better chance of actually killing our target buck in the daylight uh, during that time because that's when they're going to be active. So it's uh, Good it's stuff. definitely what we've seen proven for sure. Good stuff. Always love chatting Cooster with you. I'm excited to see how you guys do down there. Uh, Darcy. 
headed down tomorrow on a scouting trip. I'm headed down next week um, to another ranch, and uh, we're, we're excited as well. Uh, you know, it's just a great time of year um, coming off the sheep hunts and uh, just looking forward to getting down there and getting after it. I know there's a lot of people listening that have those, uh, you know, early December twos tags and now now coming on these uh, what we call the rut hunt here in Arizona. And um, it might even start, uh, I think it might... When does it start? Pretty pretty I think soon next, here. Next weekend, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say Friday. next Friday it starts. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a great time of year for two-steer hunters. It's it's uh, it's on, man. It's, it's it's for us down in Mexico. It's about a month away. Yeah, it, it's exciting time of year. Um, what I love about this time of year is it, it kind of draws us like-minded, crazy people together and and start discussing bucks and strategies and what you're seeing and. Um, you know, as a whole, we're we're a large community, but we're a fairly small, tight knit group. And I just love talking coups with people, and and you know what we're seeing, what they're seeing, and comparing notes, and making a plan of attack, and seeing how everyone does. Um, it, it's a great time to be a sportsman, and like I say, for we're really about a month away from really get cranking in Mexico, but. I still have my hopes high for, you know, that trip after Christmas to see what's going on, see what we've got. If we have the usual suspects or some new hit listers show up, uh, of course, just get down there and enjoy every minute of it. So, Sounds good, man. Well, I encourage the listeners, I'll link it up in the show notes, um, but definitely check Phil out on his Instagram, and that's Kramer Hunts on Instagram. Uh, and Phil, uh, just wondering if you have any last-minute thoughts or, or anything that you think we missed or anything you want to point out. Uh, and if not, it's been awesome having you on, and I uh, really enjoy. I know the listeners get a lot of value out of listening to you, and um, it's good stuff, man. Uh, Jay, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about it. Um, you know, like I said, any chance I get this time of year, really any any time of the year to talk the outdoors and especially coos, I'm all for it. One thing I, I would like to add is I know a, a lot of people ask you about KUU and, and why you're using KUU or how it holds up or anything. And um, I, I just want to say, you know, even down in Mexico where every bush is, has got a thorn on it, if you are careful about the products you buy and what you wear and the type of it, it works phenomenal down there and it's the best gear that i've ever worn as far as clothing and you know some of these new pants that they're coming out with and some of the new material is just as durable as any other clothing line out there Uh, i wore the pro pant when i was down there this last time and it held up really really good i didn't even think twice about blowing through cat claw um, so I just kind of wanted to add that, you know, from a, a guy that uses it every chance he gets. It, it's very durable as long as you specifically, you know, pick the, the clothing to the area you're hunting. So um, great product, and, and uh, definitely stand behind it like you do. Right on, buddy. Well, thanks for that, and uh, look forward to the next podcast. Hopefully we'll be talking about some giant bucks that you guys have knocked down and um, getting some uh observations uh from what you've learned and it's fun how it seems like every year we we you know talk about all of it and every year we learn new stuff and that's part of it what i like is it's always a new challenge and just when you think you got them figured out they throw you throw you for a loop and make you think outside the box and you know that's that's one of the things that i like so much about hunting coos deer is they're just an incredible animal and and they give you you know they'll give you your money's worth for sure 
You bet, without a doubt. And good luck to you and Dora down there. Right. And you guys travel safe, and we'll catch up with you when we can. All right, buddy. God bless. Take care. God bless. Bye.